So I'm chatting to Dr. Happy Sitole from the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, the CSIR, uh, which is based in Pretoria. We're talking about Lingao, which is Africa's fastest computer. Thank you so much for joining me, Doctor. Uh, thank you, Malangela. Well, so, I mean, this is a great innovation and a great solution. We often talk about problems that African countries are experiencing. So what was the motivation to develop Lingao, which is, you know, known as a supercomputer? And when did the process begin? Okay, first of all, I think uh, looking at the, the development of uh, high-performance computing, or supercomputers in the country. It started off with the need to be able to address some of the challenges that we have as a country, and I would say as the continent. So the, the access to supercomputers to our researchers has always been there way before we started to build our own supercomputers. For an example, scientists like myself who did their degrees maybe in the 90s, I had to depend on other countries outside South Africa to have access to supercomputers. So, so this is where we started off. With all these needs from the community, the Department of Science and Technology was approached to say, we need to have this uh, capacity in the country. So there were a number of uh, scientists working in different fields who required the supercomputers. So where we started is uh, then it had to be an investment through the Department of Science and Technology, which uh, started in 2007. So this is how we started off with uh, the first supercomputers built in South Africa. Once the systems were built in the country, there was a huge demand from the users in the country. With that huge demand, then we had to grow from a supercomputer which was uh, only 2.5 teraflops, having like uh, 640 processors. We had to grow to a supercomputer that had about 61 teraflops with about 7,000 processors. And now, finally, now in 2016, we have got a supercomputer that can do 783 teraflops which has got over 24,000 processors so the growth here has always been dictated to or guided by the amount of utilization from our users I, I mentioned before you know the, this came out of a need which uh, which arose on the continent in terms of processing a massive amount of data but can you talk about the stakeholders who have an interest in having a supercomputer like this existing uh, what kind of work is going through something that takes that you know has such high processing speeds and also such massive amounts of of, of memory and storage what kind of uh, data are we talking about here that's uh, that's being processed uh, by a supercomputer yeah first of all i think uh, the the first uh, people that uh, we're looking at is our researchers at universities who work in fields like for an example in mineral processing environments these people, for them to be able to understand the different materials or minerals, they need to be able to have a huge number of atoms building their system so that they can be able to do a simulation of these systems closer to the reality. For an example, if I have to simulate the properties of gold, if I only do the simulation with two atoms of gold in my system, 
it won't be giving me the actual uh, properties of gold. But if I do a system with closer to, say, for an example, a thousand to couple of ten thousands of gold particles in my system, then the properties that I will be able to simulate will be closer to what gold is. So this is just in terms of the research. And for an example, if I take somebody who's working on the structural analysis or where we're looking at design of, let's say, motor cars, the, the systems that are used there are finite element analysis and they look at the structure. And for you to be able to get a clear simulation of a car, it means that you have to have uh, many parameters that you put in to do that simulation. And for that, your computing requirements keep on increasing. And closer to what a lot of people might understand is, uh, for an example, the researchers who are working on, say, climate modeling or, say, weather prediction. Normally, when we do a weather prediction, it, it depends on how do you cut your grid or how do you look at the size of the problem that you are solving. Say, I am sitting in Pretoria, and between Pretoria and Johannesburg, you have got almost about 40 uh, kilometers. And if a weather forecaster is going to look at what is the weather pattern between Pretoria and Johannesburg, and he's going to look at it in an 80-kilometer radius, then that person is going to miss mm -hmm. Joe Beck. Mm -hmm. you, get, you get my point. So it means that the person should be doing a forecasting on maybe about the five kilometer radius. And immediately when you do a five kilometer radius, it means that you get a lot of data for you be, to be able to do that weather prediction. So these are the type of things that you, you are looking at. And, and I can look at a lot of more other examples. But uh, I think the other one that uh, most of uh, our users will be very clued up with is uh, now the challenge that we are looking at on the square kilometer array. This is the big astronomy project, project that is taking place in uh, South Africa and Australia. So basically in the Southern Hemisphere. So at the moment we do have telescopes that collect data from the sky. We have got uh, about seven telescopes that are called the CAT7 sitting in the Karoo. But uh, for the SKA full production, we will need thousands of those telescopes. So already once these telescopes increase, there's a massive amount of data that will be collected that need to be processed. So I would say that the challenges in this case are varying from basic research, but also it goes into our industries. So for our industries also to be competitive, and, and, and I can talk about uh, for an example, in this case, on our uh, financial markets, everybody in the continent wants to know the performance of the financial markets. I think, Balunile, uh, in this case, uh, we might underestimate how much processing goes in before we will know what is the performance of the rent uh, to the dollar. There's a lot of things that come in, in there. And for that to be able to be processed within a short space of time, we need massive computing to be able to estimate the financial markets. So this, I think, I think are some examples that uh, will be closer to 
most of uh, the listeners. Incredible. It's incredible. And so for me, what I deal with is a, is a normal laptop, you know. Um, so I'm just curious about, I mean, okay, we can't even compare the two. The, the, the supercomputer is so fast that you can't even compare it to, you know, like my computer where, where you know, we say gigahertz or gigabytes, you know. But I, I'm curious about what measures have been taken so that, you know, this, com this supercomputer and similar supercomputers don't experience, you know, the typical thermodynamic issues like overheating or crashing due to maybe software or hardware errors like normal computers. What kind of engineering goes into that so that a massive system like this doesn't fail? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, this is a very good question. If you look at your computer only, and I can take you back a little bit on history. Our computers initially had only one processor, which we call the central processing unit, or right, the CPU right. in most cases. So com uh, advancements in terms of uh, the processing has taken place over years. And currently, you will be surprised that the laptop that you have there in your desk, on your desk, will be having more than four processors at least mm -hmm. at this stage. So that's a massive improvement. So if you take as uh, the laptop that you used to have in your 80s, you basically have got four laptops on your desk today. Wow. And, and, and that's massive uh, computing capability now that you have. And, and I'm glad that you raised the issue of software because uh, today we have got this four desktops and we don't realize we still behave like in the 80s where I keep on doing one process at a time. When I run my weight, I only run my weight and then after that, then I will run my PowerPoint and I will look at my email. But uh, this computing power now that you have, it allows you to do all those things all at a time. You know that. Uh, because in the past, mm -hmm. if, you, if, you are, if you are trying to run your Word and run your PowerPoint and read your email at the same time, your computer was going to crash. Right. Because it was only one uh, processor that we had. But today you'll be amazed. I'm sitting in my office and I've got three screens in front of me. And all these screens are doing something on, mm -hmm. on them, just on my, my desktop. So the power of supercomputing is exactly that. It is to allow you to do more than one processor or processes at a time. So if I'm just looking at my desktop with only four processors, imagine if I have got so many of these desktop uh, laptops capability packed into a system that we call now a supercomputer. I pack them in a rack and I can have maybe about a hundred of those or a thousands of them. Then can you imagine how many things that I can be able to do? But the, the limitation in this is based on the capability of me being able to tell these la la laptops to work as a system all at the same time. And this is what we call to be able to parallelize, right? So we need to be able to do things in parallel and, 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 and work things simultaneously. And that is the capability that we need on our applications. So the beauty of this is that we don't just need the hardware, but we need people to be able to build 
the software and software which are parallel. So currently with our supercomputer Lengao, as you have just uh, indicated, it can do in this case 782 mm -hmm. times 10 to the power 15 instructions per second. Oh my goodness. That's how fast it can do. As compared to your desktop, you, you correctly indicated it is only gigaflops that you have in front. This one is petaflops. So I think this is the... And, and, and how do we do that measurement? So for, for, for many people who don't know, how would you uh, measure a petaflop uh, in, in relation to a gigaflop? How do we measure that? They are all... So what would be the conversion? Yeah, first let's talk about the flop. What a flop is? F-L-O-P. P, exactly. It's a... This is a floating point operation. So the floating point operation is if I give a computer an instruction, how many of those instructions can it do per second? Right. Hence we say flops. So it's floating point operations per, per second. second. Yeah. Right? So if we are given a task, we are, I give a task to my desktop, and I also give a task to the supercomputer. That's what we do. So we have got a program that we provide to the computers. And we say to the computer, solve this problem. And we want to see how many instructions can both of you computers can do in a second. So for my laptop, because it's only some, uh, it's measured in gigaflops, so it will only do maybe 10 to the 6 uh, giga. It's about 10 to the, to, 10 to the 6 floating point operations per second, right? Mm -hmm. But this one will do 10 to the 15 at the same time. So they were given as the same problem. Right. If I have to put it in layman's term here. Please do. Is if I give a task to one individual and I give the very same task to six individuals, and we measure on how much will they be able to complete in a second. One person who's working alone and those six people who are working together in parallel, they will be able to do more than one person. Do you get the analogy? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so that is basically what is happening here. So this comparison, it will be now your laptop working alone and this supercomputer with uh, about a thousand of processors working together at the same time. Hence, you see that your laptop will only be able to do 10 to the 6 instructions per second, but the supercomputer will be able to do 10 to the 15 mm -hmm. or even 10 to the 18 mm -hmm. uh, instructions per second. Balungile, this is what really defines competitiveness. Right. Because if you we're going to look at, say, the examples that I gave you, analysis of the financial markets. Me with my laptop, I will be waiting to find out about the rent dollar exchange and waiting for months just to get an answer. But Balungile, because she has got access to Lengao, that can do 10 to the uh, 15 uh, instructions per second, Balungile will give this instruction to Lengao and within a few minutes she will have an answer and she will be able to go to the market faster than me. That's clear competitiveness. 
So basically, in terms of our economy, is that our industries, whenever they have got ideas, the only way they can be competitive is how fast do they take their ideas into products. Going fast into uh, production, it gives you the first chance to go into the markets and you become competitive. So these things also help us to be able to be competitive in our industry. I will just give you one example, please, one please. that uses supercomputers for their industry. And if I, if I talk about Germany, I guess you will think about auto manufacturing, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, like a BMW. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know that how much computing goes into that BMW? Yeah, yeah I can imagine. I just, can imagine. For, just, for, just for the change of design, one has to be able to demonstrate how good is that design. So there's a lot of computing that goes in there. And we can see in terms of the design that comes from, from, from those areas. So I, I think this is one thing that uh, most of the listeners will have uh, a clue and just see how other nations become competitive. Mm, I think this is incredible and it's a big, big source of pride. You know, it's like you say, this, it's, it's this kind of technology and innovation that gives you the edge and gives you the ability to be competitive because, I mean, the world, the world is a competitive place. So you, you need to step up to the plate and really be amongst those other big, you know. I mean, th this, is, this has been described as the, 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 the fastest computer that Africa has ever seen, you know. So it, it really, it, it does contribute a lot to making Africa, not just South Africa, but also Africa, you know, um, competitive. Um, is there anything that uh, you, you maybe wanted to share with the listeners that I haven't asked you about? So we've spoken about speed, capacity. Let's talk about the name a little bit. I think before, before even we get to the name, uh, your, your, your remark here is that I think people should not uh, misunderstand this as being the fastest computer in the continent to say only we want the speed in the computer. People should understand that there are real problems that yes. uh, South Africa and the continent yes. have to solve. Yes. For an example, in our exploration of our minerals, we really need to be able to be precise in those explorations. I think uh, we're looking at our exploration on oil and gas, these things will require massive computing. Um, I have, uh, and, and these are areas that will help us to be competitive as a continent. Uh, I'm looking at, uh, for an example, on the square kilometer array, for an example that we just mentioned, for us to process that data and give the world uh, processed information about the astronomy, we need to have massive computing. Our health systems, at the moment, we're talking about the, the genomic sequencing. These are the next generation on how people are going to be diagnosed and being given the right medication. Uh, so genomic sequencing is one of the areas that is going to revolutionize our, 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 our healthcare. These things will depend on the supercomputers. So I think the listeners should be able to understand the impact that if we don't invest now, in the skills and mm. start uh, uh, addressing these problems, we are going to be left behind as, as, as the continent. So about our names, every, every nation, when they build their supercomputers, 
they take pride on uh, the, the, the symbols in their countries. And in South Africa, one thing that we looked at is that these supercomputers are huge and they are fast. So we sat and uh, looked at this and said, what does this symbolize? And, and we thought about our antelopes. So our antelopes are huge, are agile, and they are fast. So our, our history in building the supercomputers, that's why we named our supercomputers after the antelopes. So the first supercomputer that we put in 2007 was Ikudu, which mm. is Udu uh, for the Tosa language. Mm. And um, uh, the second one, it was Tsebe, and Tsebe is also one of the first antelopes. So, but when we did, uh, when we did Lengau, we found that Lengau is much faster. It's 15 times Tsebe, which was our last antelope that we put. Yeah. But one thing, because of the architecture of the computing, uh, this was now a smaller version of uh, Tsebe. And we thought, what will be so fast and getting smaller? And that's where Lengau or a cheetah came in to say it is fast, but it has got a small footprint. So all these are some of uh, the animals that we found in our continent. And this is what we take pride of. So this is how the naming convention comes in. I, you know, I'm so inspired <laughs> and I... I really appreciate that perspective that you shared in terms of not understanding Lingao as, um, you know, like according to the headlines, the fastest computer, you know, but really about the impact and what it comes down to and the, and the change that it brings. I really, really appreciate that. But I also want to congratulate you as the team at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research for, you know, for this incredible innovation. Um, it's really, really important, and it speaks to the essence of what we do on this show. Like, what, what is, what is shaking? What is, who is moving and shaking Africa? What is making an impact? What is making a change in terms of development? When we talk about the the continent and you know many African countries, and talking about the problems that we face, and who 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 out there is contributing to really, really tackling and solving these issues so that we come out better. So I, I, I am really, really inspired by this. I, I don't understand the science, <laughs> but you, you explained it in, in such a, in an accessible way. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad I managed to, to, to make it simpler for yes, you. Yes. I, I think one last word that I would like to say uh, is that, you know, this development is, it does not just end in South Africa. We have got a program where we are building these capa capabilities in the rest of the continent. We have been working with a number of our, our countries. First of all is the countries that are involved in the SKA. You know that it was South Africa and eight partner countries from Africa, like Botswana, Mauritius, Kenya, Ghana, and so on. Those countries, we are busy working with them in building capacity there. So we, we get some uh, high-performance computing systems that we install in this country. So basically, we don't want uh, South Africa to be just uh, a beacon sitting there alone. We want these things to be pervasive in the rest of uh, the, the, the continent. So that's all what I can 
also share that uh, the, this development, we want to see this uh, being uh, continent-wide. 100%. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Sitole. That was uh, Dr. Happy Sitole from the Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, um, who was just talking to us about Lingau, uh, which has been described as Africa's fastest computer.